So here's a question. Do we sin because we're sinful or are we sinful because we sin? Seems like we're splitting hairs, but as we'll see today, there's much more to this as we understand the wrath of God and why. Next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. The symbol of man's sinful rebellion, the substance of man's sinful rebellion, and the scope of man's sinful rebellion is the subject of our time today. Hi and welcome. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our time together today returns us to the book of Romans. We're focusing in on chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 all the way through to verse 32 today as we take a look at the reason behind the wrath of God. Only then can we understand the amazing grace He extends to us in Jesus Christ. With today's edition of Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse. You can uh, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And I just want to read our text for us here this morning. Uh, We'll be looking at at verses... uh, 24 through 32 of Romans chapter 1. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, For their women exchanged natural desires for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. We're still dealing with the theme of God's wrath, God's divine wrath against sin. And today we're seeing man's rebellion against God. Some years ago, there was a pastor in Switzerland he was preaching to his congregation on this text. And he began, began his message like this. He says, In the words that we have just read, we are told the whole truth about our condition. There may well be people among us who cannot bear to hear the truth and would like to creep quietly away out of the church. Let them do so if they wish. <laughs> There's much justification for this pastor's words. Because these words, these verses that the Apostle Paul, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penned, are difficult to really think about, to contemplate. 
there's really not a ray of light among them if you look at them. It's all dark, it's somber, black as midnight, filled with the roll of thunder. The passage has for its theme the judgment of God upon what we would say a world gone mad with sin. And when we read these verses, we really, if we're not careful, we have a temptation to think, well, that's the people that are not here this morning. That's who he's talking about. But when we read these verses, we really come face to face with our true condition, every one of us. Uh, Many of us would rather not think that way, but that's true. I can't blame you if you'd rather be somebody else, somewhere else this morning rather than listen to this message. Um, to be honest, I'd probably be somewhere else if I could, <laughs> uh, preaching another message or doing something other than covering this text. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this about this text. It's the most terrible passage in all the Bible. If you know anything about him, he's a faithful teacher for years, wonderful man of God. Uh, That in itself is a pretty incredible claim, the most terrible passage in the Bible. When you think of how much the Bible deals with the judgment of sin on mankind, we saw that last week a little bit. But as I looked at this and studied this this week, I really believe that what he said is true. This probably is the most terrible, most awesome, most shocking passage in the entire Bible. There was one pastor... When he was studying this text, he decided to write his own kind of paraphrase of this text. But he turned it around and he made it a positive reading, not a negative reading. Kind of interesting. I just want to read that for you. Same verses that we just read with kind of a positiveness to it. Therefore, God gave them over in their hearts to self-control and purity, that their bodies might be honored among them. For they kept and cherished the truth of God and worshipped and served the Creator, who is blessed forever rather than the, the creature. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to pure and wholesome lives, lived with carefree ease, even in the most intimate relations, so that all received in their own persons the due reward of their fidelity. And just as they saw fit to acknowledge God in all things, God gave them over to a sound mind, to do those things which are proper, being filled with all righteousness, goodness, generosity, kindness, full of selflessness, life, healing, openness, kindliness. They're gentle in speech, always building others up, lovers of God, respectful, humble, self-effacing, inventors of good, obedient to parents, understanding, trustworthy, loving, merciful, And as they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are the possessors of life, they do the same and give hearty approval to those who do likewise. Pretty neat how he did that. There was a Lord Russell that basically was speaking against the Christian faith and speaking against the idea that men are sinful, speaking against the idea that God is angry at sin. And he wrote this in his little book he called Why I'm Not a Christian. He said, there is one serious defect in the mind, to my mind, in Christ's moral character, and that is that he believed in hell. Obviously, this guy's not a believer. I do not myself feel that any person who is really profoundly human can believe in everlasting punishment. 
Christ certainly has, as it was depicted in the Gospels, did believe in everlasting punishment. And one does find repeatedly a vindictive fury against those people who would not listen to his preaching. You do not, for instance, find that attitude in Socrates. You find him quite bland and urbane toward the people who would not listen to him. And it is, to my mind, far more worthy of a sage to take that line than to take the line of indignation. Why do I read that to you? Because I want you to understand the idea of a wrathful God, of an angry God, of a God that would judge the world is offensive to most people today. They don't want to hear that. Um, Any who are sympathetic to some of the thinking just expressed that was just expressed in that man's writing, basically don't want to look at a text that we're going to look at this morning. And the only help I can give you is it's a Spirit's message given through the Apostle Paul to the church of Rome and to us. And it's part of God's word. And so we are going to go through this this morning. But in this passage, I think we find the, the result of not just God's wrath, but the result of man's rebellion against God. As you look down over the text here, you look in verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up. Down in verse 26, it says, For this reason God gave them up. Down in verse 28, it says, God gave them up. It's an interesting Greek word that makes up that phrase, gave them up. These phrases, God gave them up over and over again here in the text, tell us that there's a limit There's a limit to the patient and the long-suffering of God. There is a limit. And as we study these verses, it's going to become apparent that when man makes his choice to abandon God, God will also choose to abandon man. That's a very sobering thought when you think about it. The King James Version reads this, God gave them up. Barclay renders it, God abandoned them. J.B. Phillips says, they gave up God, and so God gave them up. (laughs) It's a very strong word. It, it, it meanings, basically means that the act of God whereby he hands over the human race for judgment because of their sins. Hands them over. Guilty is charged. And in this passage, Paul is telling us what happens when men turn away from God. When men lose God, they always, count my words, always lose themselves. It's as if God said, all right. You want to turn away from me? Go ahead. I'll let you go. I won't try to stop you. But you know what? One day you're going to have to face the consequences for your actions. Actions have consequences, by the way. Things aren't in life aren't always figured out in 30 minutes in a sitcom. <laughs> that's the world we live in. Everything just kind of resolves itself. Well, that's not true in real life. Uh, we're surrounded, beloved, by millions of people who have really abandoned to the lifestyle they have chosen over the God that created them. And a lot of these people are capable of any sin imaginable. It tells us right in our text, they are inventors of evil. We're going to go over that, what that, what that means. The truth is there are people we all know who are living a life that exists under the shadow of of their result of their abandonment of God and his subsequent abandonment of them. And with that in mind, I want to look at these verses 
and understand a little bit more about the result of man's rebellion. This morning, I want us to just kind of remind ourselves that God is at a place in our society where I think we are very, very, very close if, close if we haven't already arrived where God has turned his back on our country. I really believe that simply because of all the stuff that's going on. You know, you say, well, God bless America. My question is, how could he? How could God possibly bless a country that has come and fallen so far, so quickly? I mean, yes, this country was founded on Christian principles. It was founded by a majority of of believers even. And I'm not saying they were all Christians, but they definitely held to the Judeo-Christian ethic. You look at our law, you look at everything around us in our government, it was founded there. That's why you can go to Washington, D.C. and see the name of God everywhere. <laughs> but last week, as we looked at the rebellion toward God and, and man's revelation of God, how we're all accountable because all we have to do is look around and see the creation. And we saw man's rejection of God because God has revealed his wrath from the heavens against all ungodliness, it told us in verse 18. Verse 19 says, well, what can be known about God is plain to them. You have to be pretty creative to come up with your own plan, how everything got here. And that's what they've done. And then they reject the God that created them. In verse 20, it says they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Because of all that, that's where we find ourselves today. That's why it says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up. His patience ran out. The first thing we see here is, what's the substance of this man's sinful rebellion in verse 24 to 25? It's based basically on sinful choices. Man chooses sin over God because sin is bound up in his heart. It's not something that, you know, they just wake up one day and say, okay, I guess I'll just try to be better, or I guess I'll try to be worse. We have to understand our sinful condition before a holy God. In Matthew chapter 15, it begins to unravel the traditions and the the commandments of God. And in verses 19 to 20... For out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. See, we're so good at looking at the outside and putting on a good, kind of a a good uh, show for people. You know, we come to church, we sit in our little seat, and we open our Bible and take notes, and boy, everything's happy, happy, happy in Jesus. If people could really see into the dark recesses of our own heart and what we were going through even now as we're here this morning, we'd probably be horrified. Sin is not something we do, beloved. Sin is something we are. We are sinful people. You can't just relegate it to a list of things you do or you don't do. That's the danger of our 
churches today is they have a little list of good things and a little list of bad things. And if you do more good things than bad things, then you're considered a spiritual person. In James chapter 1, verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. His own desire. That's something that's already there. Just look at your children. You don't have to teach your children to be bad. They're bad in and of themselves. You know, you don't have to teach them not to share their toys. They're not going to share their toys. They're selfish. They're little savages. I mean, that's what they are. I mean, they're cute. Don't get me wrong. Lovely little bundles of joy. But they can also be pretty feisty little critters too. And you got to stop and you got to think, well, why are they that way? It's because sin is in their heart. You don't have to teach them that. It's based in sinful choices. That's what it says there in verse 24 of Romans. Therefore, God gave them up, what? In the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. They basically did things that God basically says that we should not do. And yet, that's exactly what they give their hearty approval to based on their choice. The more a man seeks to honor himself by exalting his will over that of God, the more dishonorable he becomes. That's just the way it works. When he chooses sin over a relationship with the living God, his sinful nature grows even more corrupt. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, we're told there to put off your old self, talking to believers, put off the old self. And then it says, which belongs to your former manner of life. In other words, once you come to Christ, there should be a transformation in your life. There should be something different. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we should see that light in your life. I often told young people when I was a youth pastor, no change, no Jesus. No Jesus, no change. That's great. You had some experience up on the hilltop with your friends and went forward and committed your life to Christ. That's great. You did that. But did it change you? (laughs) Not just for the night, not just for the week. God doesn't save us for a couple weeks and then just let us go. No, once he saves us, we're his forevermore. And he will continue to do that work in and through us. Sometimes whether we cooperate or not. Sometimes he has to discipline us, like a loving father would discipline a child, because we're not listening. But it tells us in Ephesians that we should put off your old self, like an old pair of clothes. Put them off. They're dirty. Get rid of them. Which belongs to your former manner of life. How did you live before you were a believer? What made up your life? Some of you probably were maybe deep into the drug culture or, or deeply addicted to alcohol or whatever, and God transformed your life miraculously. Others of you may have been raised in a Christian home. Maybe you haven't gone to that depth. But it doesn't matter because we're all sinful. We all need the same salvation from God. It doesn't matter what you do or what you have done. Everything that made up our former life in Christ, what should be put off? That's what he's saying. And then he says, and in in, in Ephesians 4.22, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. It's corrupt. That word corrupt is basically in the, the, what you say, the, the present tense. It's corrupting. It's ongoing. 
The whole character representing the former self is not only corrupt, but it is growing more and more corrupt each day we live. Every trait of that old man's behavior is crumbling. It's rotting. It's a corpse. It stinks. We need to dispose of it. Forget it forever. And that is true about natural man. And so he points that out in verse 24. He says, because of all this, God gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts to impurity, to dishonor, the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. Bad choice, sinful choice. And that leads to verse 25, based in sinful changes. Since man refuses to live by God's truth, he invents his own law. The result is that man also invents his own gods. The chief God of all man is himself, basically. God calls this behavior the exchange of a truth for a lie. In other words, man trades that which is living, that which is given by God, helpful and vital, for that which is dead, (laughs) harmful and vain. Why do we do this, you might ask? Why would somebody make a trade like that? It doesn't make sense. Because we still possess an overwhelming desire to worship. So he needs a God that will condone his sinful behavior. And he knows that's not the God of the Bible, so they create a God of their own. Maybe it's themselves. They worship themselves and their own invented gods. That's what it says, because they exchange the truth about God for a lie. What's the truth about God? That he's holy, that he's loving, that he's pure, that he wants what's best for us. See, if if you can't buy into the attributes of God, if you don't understand what the attributes of God are, then you don't understand who God is. Talked to one pastor, lady in a very liberal church. She mentioned that we don't study theology. I said, really? You have a problem with theology? Wow, it's just it's old fashioned. We don't, you know, we don't do that. I said, what do you do? Well, we 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 study sociology. We want people to get along, and we want this. We don't we don't need to study theology. And I said, well, how would you define theology? Well, it's just you know all the stuff about God. I said, so you're a pastor in a church. And you're telling me you don't want to study about God. It's kind of telling of our society today. You can go to a lot of churches and not hear the truth of God's word taught. And the reason is just because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to be judgmental. They don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend people either, but God's word sometimes is offensive. The cross is a stumbling block. And so the the most dangerous thing we can do is try to fix all that and, and make the message kind of easy going and just kind of let it fall by the wayside and not offend anybody because we've taken all the offending parts of it out. God doesn't do that. God tells us the truth. And he says, you know what? I just gave them up to the lust of their own hearts to impurity, that which is not pure, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. See, our body is, is to be honored. It's, it's to be the temple of the spirit. We're to take care of it. You know, we, probably more of us than not need to take better care of our bodies, myself included. But I've seen people that even take that whole concept too far. And basically they live for their body. <laughs> you know, they're they're the whole youthful, you know, they want to be youthful when they look seventy. So they spend all their resources trying to look young. It's like, you know, you can spend all the money you want. Eventually you're gonna get wrinkles. Eventually your body's gonna break down and eventually people are gonna stand be standing over a grave saying, what a nice person you are because you're dead. That's going to happen to every one of us pending the Lord's return. Nothing's going to change that. I don't care how many vitamins you take, how many times you go to the gym, all those things. That's the end of ourselves. 
But we don't want to believe that. And so they, here they gave their hearts to impurity and dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. I mean, if that's not basically telling of the, of the, the, the day and age we live in today when people are more, um, get more fired up about somebody cutting a tree down in their backyard versus killing an unborn baby, uh, we got problems. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. 9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.